following audio is from Covenant Life Fellowship. And for, for more information about our church and to stay up to date on all sermons, events, and news, please visit our website at www.clfroseburg.com. Well, before I <clears throat> start to teach, I want to. I just want to say that uh, I'm incredibly grateful. I thought I'd get over it in the first service. (laughs) Bear with me. I just want to say that I'm incredibly grateful and thankful to God for you. Folks, come here. You worship faithfully. You fellowship with each other. You participate in ministering to one another at the levels you can. To hear God's word preached and you lean in with your hearts open. You encourage each other. You bear each other's burdens. You support one another financially. You disciple each other and you disciple each other's children. You support, encourage, and honor your leaders and much more. And you supported... uh, Linda and me and our family uh, through two intense years of caring first of all for my mom for eight months until she passed away and went to heaven to be with Jesus. Just a few days later, Linda started a 15-month battle with cancer. So, (laughs) as a result... We got to see firsthand what it means served by this special Christian family called Covenant Life Fellowship. What an amazing experience. You guys brought meals, flowers, cards, prayers. You visited. You gave us texts, phone calls of support, and a never-ending expression of love. We receive true friendship, wise and compassionate counsel, and resources of all kinds, and on and on it went. The amazing thing is you didn't stop after Linda passed and went to be with the Lord. You continue even to this day to care for us in amazing ways. I'll forever be grateful and say thanks. I also want you to know that um, I feel like I didn't communicate to you as much as I would have liked during that time, but it certainly wasn't because I didn't appreciate every and any kindness, simply overwhelming what had to be done. Please forgive me if you ever felt overlooked or unappreciated because you aren't, I promise you. What a difference between the kind of care that you gave our family and so many other families at the same time. It wasn't just us in this church that were going through amazing things. 
and you were caring for them as well. What a difference between that culture and the culture of the Corinthian church that we heard about last week. But this brief comparison is not intended to puff us up in any way, shape, or form, but to just make us even more thankful to God for giving us <coughs> his completed word, the Bible, so that we can study it, teach it, and learn how to live his way. As the Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians 10, verse 11, Now these things happened to them as an example, but they were reduction so that we would learn from them and do better. Thank you that this is happening here in this body. We have some great advantages over the Old Testament and even the New Testament church. We have a completed Bible that's available to be in all of our hands. Some of you probably have many translations in your home. The indwelling spirit an established church with gifted, humble people to teach and lead us, to model for us <clears throat> how to love and serve God and each other. And I say to the Lord, thank you, Lord, and thank you, talking about you folks, for learning and walking out his way. Not perfectly, but we're maturing in Christ, and that's really very encouraging. We're growing. We're learning to do better. We're learning from the examples of those who have gone before us. So again, thank you. With the time I have left, I, I'd like to share a few things that the Lord did in our lives. Paris, for the last two years, that made the, the difficult time easier to navigate. Maybe it <clears throat> might help some of you that are going through trials now and or will be to be able to navigate them with more peace and confidence in the Lord. The big idea for this talk is, I guess not in your bulletin, so I'll read it to you. <laughs> Listen carefully to the emphasis here because I want it to be personal to you. Are you learning to trust and obey God and find rest in His fatherly love and care for you and yours? No matter what happens. I repeat you. Are you personally learning to trust and obey God and find rest in his fatherly love and care for you and yours? No matter what happens in your life. Now I don't want to make this too much about Linda and I. But I think as I share a little of our story, God will get the credit and the glory as he should. He's the one that inspires us, teaches us, empowers us to desire even to study, to learn and apply the truth to our lives. He has begun growing. He began growing us back when I think Linda got saved at age 18. I was 13 when I got saved and we were married. He's been growing us ever since, but in the last 10 years, We, her and I talked a lot about um, some things we wanted to do better in our life. Uh, was to get in a place in our lives that we saw in the mature saints in the faith in the scriptures. 
people that when faced with really tough things responded in a God-honoring way, even rejoicing in trials. Worshiping God in tragedy. Instead of responding a tendency to do in our fallenness, to say, why me? (laughs) Why now? Why this? This doesn't seem fair. And then going into depression and anger and all kinds of wrong emotions. Which doesn't honor our God. And shows our trust. And it, does, it shows our trust. And it doesn't help others desire to know our, our great king. Plus it's not helpful to us. So we talked about it, we prayed about it, and we said, you know, this is an area we need to get better at to be a better ambassador of Christ. And we began to study and meditate on people like Jesus. Abraham, Paul, Peter, Job, Ruth, Esther, and a lot of others. Plus biographies, plus, plus, plus. Observing the lives of God's people down through the ages began to see that if we uh, were serious about being God's ambassadors for the gospel, we had, to, we had to grow in this to finish well like these great saints did at the end of their lives. Especially Jesus. And over time, God was doing his work of preparation so that when we got... Linda's um, diagnosis of stage four cancer. We were surprised, but we sat down, her and I, in her office, held each other and prayed. Because God was the that could really, <clears throat> excuse me, comfort our hearts. And give us what we needed. Wisdom, trust, hope for the future, whether near or far. Obviously, as we prayed, we realized that he could take Linda's life and take her home to his heaven. And that's what he did in August of 21. But he could have miraculously healed her through prayer. So we went to the elders and we, we prayed and you all prayed. And she wasn't miraculously healed, and so we sought God and see if he would heal her by means, as we see in the scriptures he does sometimes. Yet Linda (laughs) really wanted to just go home and be with the Lord. Took me a while to realize that Linda would like to live a little longer, mainly, not just ours, but for years as well. She had things that were incomplete in her mind. But more specifically, she wanted to finish well here to do the work she believed God had given her to do here before she went to be with him. But she really wanted to be in paradise with Jesus. She reminded me of that quite often. It wasn't that she didn't want to be with us. 
She just loved him that much, which has been a great lesson for me. She wasn't just fighting to live longer, but to fail. And our family, her birth family, our church family and friends to live without her. Deliberate in that, very intentional. And as I look back, I can see what God did for her and how he was preparing her. A couple years before, he began to give her a desire to just read about trials and suffering and struggle and in the context of overcoming. She was convicted to change certain things to be more of an overcomer and to be more like Christ. She couldn't sleep much and she got up around four a lot of times. So she would just go into her office and get a cup of coffee and put it on her little warmer. And read and pray and meditate on God's goodness, faithfulness, love, and his sovereignty. <clears throat> One being, uh, she wanted to have this beautiful kitchen and she, we were able to get that for her and God provided it. And uh, it's all done and we're standing there looking at it. And she hosted a lot of people and she was really looking forward to it. And she said, how long do you think the Lord's going to let us? Enjoy this kitchen. And I said, well, boy, honey, I hope quite a spell. She said, okay, well. And she told Linda, or uh, Shelly, I think it'll be two years. It was almost two years to the day. He gave her impressions and resources. <laughs> I mean, he changed her desires. He gave her reminders of his faithfulness and she'd write them in her journal. The things that he had done for us and our family. I'm finding them little notes all over, little lists. She got to where she couldn't hardly write, but there was little lists of things that God had done. And uh, I'm keeping those. <laughs> he gave her a compulsion to write our family story and to write letters to our children and our grandchildren. To organize and finish her home and businesses so she would no longer be needed, she said. <laughs> but she really was deliberate about that and did an amazing job of preparing us. Now, why am I sharing all of this with you about Linda? Well, because what is true of her is true of you and me. All those that God loves, he equips and prepares for what's ahead. But he asks us in sanctification to join him in this work, as she did. In Timothy, he's talking to, Paul talking to little Timothy, he said, when I say little, he was probably 30. We must discipline ourselves for godliness. Because doing so has great value for this. For this, Paul says, we toil and strive, for we have our hope set on the living God who is our Savior. We need to become an example to others in speech, in conduct, in love, faith, and purity. And until the Lord takes us, 
we must immerse ourselves and practice the things we learn in God's Word. So those that live around us can see our progress in Christ. We must be on guard, watching ourselves and our teaching. You know, I, I, I noticed in my own life sometimes... Uh, I've been guilty of watching my teaching and not paying. And other times I've paid too much attention to my life and not enough to my teaching and to the teaching of Christ. We need them both. We need to be immersed in learning, applying, and sharing the truth. But we must be living it in such a way that we don't actually disqualify our testimony to those that know us and know us well and that love us. They should see our progress in Christ. None of us are perfect. We're just becoming more and more like Christ progressively. We must persist in this lifestyle. For by so doing, you will save both yourself and those you touch. Now, we don't save anyone. The gospel does. But your life can be a gospel testimony or can be against the testimony of the gospel. So the way you live in the gospel, so people want to hear the message of the truth, or they don't. Or they hear it, and it doesn't have the impact it could have because of what they saw in you. It should be both together. Message and messenger. You do all of this by putting on the full armor. Of God and, <clears throat> and resist the enemies that we face in life. Paul in Ephesians 6 tells us that we must put on the whole armor of God so you can resist Satan, stand in the power of Christ no matter what comes. We must put on Christ instead of the selfishness of the world, deny ourselves and follow Christ and follow Jesus, who died to save us. And to love and serve him and the people he puts in relationship with us. A lot of people see that as a, um, a formula for hardness and no joy. It's just the opposite. Life is hard. There will be trials. But you want everything being easy. Joy comes from walking in obedience to God and having Him give us His joy and our joy is full. It's an internal thing that He does for us because we've been faithful to Him. That's the everyday stuff that we immerse ourselves in. Loving God, loving our families. Loving a church family. The two great commands manifested in life and reality. If you boil life down to those two things. Loving God and loving others. You'll never go wrong. I was getting started. We had some young men that wanted to know how they could become leaders in our church. We said, well. Love God and love his people. Be sacrificial leaders. Servants. To represent God the way. Christ represented his father. And that's true of all of us. The heads of houses, parents for children, just being friend the way we show ourselves to be 
leaders in life is by loving God and loving others. The Word shows you how to do this. The Spirit empowers you to accomplish it. So the Bible shows you how to do it, but you've got to be in it studying it and learning. But, and listening. But the Spirit empowers us to accomplish it. But then there are times, the everyday life, the things that happen all the time, but you know, once in a while. But then there are really tough things that you learn to handle by observing people like Job as he faced rough things. This is the deep end of the pool, but don't neglect to study, to pray, and to ask God <clears throat> and his faithful pilgrims down through the ages to model and teach you how to live this way. That you too might honor God in the seeming dark times as well as when they come down into your life and in your path because they will. If you haven't studied Job, you ought to spend a lifetime in that book. <laughs> I go through it quite often. I'm learning some really amazing things as I see what God was doing in the universe and in Job's life that sometimes we miss if we don't get the big picture. Well, we, he tells us to stand. My question to you is, when tough things come to you and your family, will you stand? Will you be able to stand or will you crumble? The answer should be yes, you will stand. If you're standing strong in the Lord and not your own strength. Now, what's that really look like? What's that mean to stand strong in the Lord? Let's look at a few scriptures that kind of tells us what that's all about. There's things that we say as Christians, and we know what it means, and the people we're saying it to, they don't know what it means, so it doesn't make sense to them. You know, stand strong in the Lord. What does that cause to go off in your head? Some some of you know what that means, some of you don't. Um, so let's look at some scriptures, and I'm, I'm not going to say a lot about them. I'm just going to read a lot of them, but I, I want to, first of all, give you just a, a quick overview of a book. One time, Pastor Dave called, couldn't even understand him. He said, I can't preach tomorrow. And what do you, or you think you can fill in? I said, yeah, I can just teach on Ephesians. And he said, okay. And so I'm going to do that with you this morning, only it's going to be a lot quicker. But there's some things that I think are critical in this that will help you understand what we're going to get to when we read the last part. Ephesians is an amazing picture of how God saw us before we were saved, before he, in his mercy, saved us. We were lost, hopeless, under the control of sin, and, and people of wrath, and were under a very dark future. But he in his mercy saved us, brought us from death to life, regenerated us, put us in to his family, adopted us, gave us all spiritual blessings in heavenly places, sealed us with his Holy Spirit. All these wonderful things united us, Jew and Gentile, into one family, one body, overcoming racial barriers, overcoming struggles in families. 
It's all there. And then he says, now, because you're now mine, because I've now saved you, family member, I want you to live like a family member instead of the way you've been living. Chapter 4, no longer live this way, live like Christ. And then he goes through and tells you what to put off and what to put on. And, and he goes through a lot of that put off, put on stuff. All empowered and the desire in us to do it through the Holy Spirit. Then <clears throat> he starts talking about how that looks in the family. With one, submitting to one another in the church family, in our personal families, in the marriage, in the parent-child relationship, and on and on, in the business relationships. Lays it all out for you. You don't have to have any questions about how you're supposed to treat each other in those relationships and how you're supposed to lead and so forth. Then, at the end, he says, but now, when you go to live as a... You've got a real enemy. And he's going to try to destroy your life, your work, my work. And he is an amazing foe. Chapter... 6 verse 10 says, Finally, be strong in the Lord in the strength of his might. Put on the full armor of God. Not part of it. The full armor. That you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against authorities, against the cause of this present darkness, against the spiritual forces and evil in heavenly places. Wow, what a foe. But do we need to walk in fear? No, he says, Therefore... Take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and have done all to stand firm. You don't have to fail in the conflict. You don't have to fail in the trial. You can actually have victory and be an overcomer. Stand therefore, having uh, fastened on the belt of truth. Truth is critical. And having put on the breastplate of righteousness, the righteousness of Christ that we got when we believe, but also practical, walked out righteousness of obedience with the Lord. Puts us in a strong position instead of a weak. And as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. Without the gospel, none of it happens. The gospel is what makes us have peace with God and gives us the ability to have peace with our fellow man. In all circumstances, Take up the shield of faith, which extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. It doesn't matter what he throws at you, what he puts in your path, or what comes down. If you have faith in the gospel and faith in, the, in, the, in, God, in God himself, you can have victory. And you can extinguish all the lies and the deception and all that stuff. Because you have his written word. You have his living word in you in the spirit. You have his body, you have teachers, you have family, you have people to support you. But most of all, you have God and his word. And then look at this. And take up the helmet of salvation, protect the head. In a battle, to get your head crushed is a losing deal. Uh, But the point here is that if you realize that you have been saved, justification, you are being saved, sanctification, and you're going to be saved, totally, glorification, then your head's not going to be messed up all the time. It doesn't matter what you face, it's going to be okay. One thing Apostle Paul said after going through all this list of all the things he was going through, he said, "It's, it's nothing, you know, all these beatings and everything, he said, One thing I'm sure of, he wasn't sure of much of anything else other than the the doctrine. 
God's going to get me to heaven. <laughs> and you can be sure of that if you're trusting in Jesus. And the sword of the Spirit would do without his word. Praying at all times in the Spirit. Praying in the Spirit is just praying what... It being it, You can say it a lot of different ways, and I don't have time to go into it. But the main thing is to be praying at all times the will of God based upon what you know to be truth. It's amazing. Be found in him at all times. One of the keys to this whole thing is recognizing, as you see in this place, what Paul is saying. We need God every moment of every day to recognize your need, to recognize that you cannot take on an enemy like this on your own. Recognizing, as Jesus said, we can do nothing without Christ of any eternal value. But we can do all things that he asks us to do if we're walking in the Spirit and, and walking in obedience to him and trusting in him. And then he asked for prayer for himself as an ambassador of Christ to be able to share the gospel boldly. For us to be able to face life and to be what we should be ourselves and to pass on the gospel boldly without all these things. This is a daily thing. This is what you get up with in the morning. You dedicate yourself to put on the armor of God because you face an enemy that doesn't rest. And will trials come? Yes, they will. In, in James it says, Count it all joy, brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. It doesn't say if. It's when. For you know that the testing of your faith produces something. It produces steadfastness, character, all those things. If you tie it into Romans 5 and Proverbs in a few places, you see it produces all these things in your life. And let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. In other words, mature in the faith. God is maturing us. He's making us more and more like Christ. And if anyone lacks wisdom, in other words, when you're in the trial, it's confusing. You don't understand. Ask God for wisdom. He'll give you. He didn't say maybe. He said, I will give it to you. But he said, you've got to ask without doubting. <clears throat> in other words, if he says something, believe it. And live by it. And then, look what he does down here. He talks about the reward of those who continue to allow these things to have their full effect. They don't try to get out of the trial. They try to learn from the trial. They try to walk through the trial and learn what it is God's doing for them and through them and in them in the trial. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life which God has promised to the great God while he's in the process of teaching us and putting us through the fire to burn out the dross, to get rid of the things that are hurting us and hurting others and even hurting the reputation of the church. He's building rewards into us for being faithful. What an amazing thing. It doesn't matter whether you're young or old. You have a responsibility to listen carefully to our Heavenly Father about how you should be living your life and the effect that you're going to have on other people but the way you live your life. Look at 1 Peter. So I exhort the elders among you, talking about not just, I don't think in this case just, the actual formal elders, but those are certainly the ones being emphasized here. But all of us that are older should be looking at our churches. He says, as fellow elders, the witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed, 
shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willing as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when you will receive the unfading crown of glory. So, servant leadership. Example leadership. Not dominating top down. No, it's love, real servant leadership. Like, now he goes to the young people. Likewise, you who are younger, you'll have to determine whether you're one of them older ones or younger ones. I don't... uh, (laughs) I don't know where that break-off point is. But likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For, the, for God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Now that's a principle that's repeated over and over and over in Scripture. And I think it's important for us to understand that we should humble ourselves rather than ask God to humble us. I did that a few times. That's not a good prayer. Uh, the point is to humble yourself, and what happens then? He gives you grace. Okay? <clears throat> and he, but, but he gives grace to the humble. So therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, so that at the time, he, at the right time, he might exalt you. Casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Be sober-minded. Be watchful. There's that word of watchful again. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him. See, don't ever think that you're not in a war. I don't mean you shouldn't be able to relax, but you better relax with your armor on. The only reason you should be able to relax is because you got your armor on, okay? Because then you'll identify and recognize the enemy when he's coming at you. He's very subtle and sometimes uh, very deceiving. He's prowling around looking for somebody to devour, but you resist him. How? Firm in your faith. Faith in what? The truth of the gospel, the truth of the way you live your life, the truth of what God has done for you and what he's asked you to do. Truth is what you stand on to know how to resist him in the faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. Are the brothers in Ethiopia facing any of this stuff? Can you imagine running for your life just because you're a believer? And yet some of them seem to have the greatest joy of the people you'll ever meet. Why? They different? No, they've died to themselves and they're living to Christ. They... No matter what happens to them, if in the process of living for Christ, even their life is taken, or if they're persecuted, or they're separated from their families, someday there'll be justice. But the main thing is they'll get to be with their Lord. It takes the fear out of a lot of things. Some of the greatest warriors all through history have been men who 
knew that that was their job. And if their life was taken, it just meant they went into heaven. So they didn't operate out of fear. I'm going to go to Jude to close out. Because Jude was going to write a a letter in a certain way. Now Jude, by the way, is Jesus' half-brother. Just like James was his half-brother. He had four brothers and a couple sisters. All from Joseph and Mary. Which maybe you didn't know that, but you you can read it in the scriptures. It's there. But these men didn't believe in Jesus as their Savior. Think about that. They grew up with him. They watched all these miracles. But they were looking for a warrior Messiah. And finally, after his resurrection, and David's been preaching on the resurrection, you think it was important to those men? They weren't even saved until after after the resurrection. They never again called themselves brothers of Jesus. Only bond slaves and servants of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. That ought to be one of the greatest evidences you'll ever find in the, in, in the Bible for the resurrection. And James was martyred for his faith. And so, I think it's really fun and unique that one of the people Jesus appearing to after he raised from the dead was James. Not James the Apostle. James, his brother, I think the apostle had already been killed, if I remember right. I'm not sure. Um, Let's remember, beloved, the predictions of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. They said to you, in the last time there will be scoffers following their own godly, ungodly passions. It is these who cause divisions, worldly people, divorce. But you, beloved, building yourselves up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life, and have mercy on those who doubt. Save others by snatching them out of the fire. To others show mercy with fear, hating even the garment stained by the flesh or immorality. There was these false teachers teaching all this stuff, and Jude is correcting it here. But then he does a doxology. It's one of my favorite verses in the Bible, and this is what he says. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory and with great joy, to the only God our Savior through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, authority, before all time and now and forevermore. So in conclusion, I... First of all, I want to thank you again for all your support. I want you to think about, am I preparing myself to be able to trust God no matter what I face? The whole thing is that we are learning to be content. We're learning to trust God. We're learning to obey Him. 
But that only happens if you pursue him diligently. And I, I want you to think about this and realize that no matter what you're facing, some of you are facing really hard things right now. Some of you will. All of you will one time or another. And if you want to be able to go through it with less confusion, less inner turmoil, wandering, anxious, and all those things that happens to us when difficult things happen, read the scriptures. Read the lives of the people that God has taken through, the very things that you're going to have to go through or similar things. See how they did well and how they did poorly. You can learn as much from a, doing it wrong as you can from somebody doing it right. And so Paul said, these things were written down so that we would learn how not to do what they did. He was talking about bad examples. He was talking about saved. And he said most of them died in the wilderness out of unbelief. But we don't have to go there. We know Jesus. We have the Holy Spirit. If you don't know him, Today, I hope you'll trust him and realize, I don't know how people go through just even what we went through over the last two years without knowing and trusting God to take care of us, to support us. How do people do it without God? I don't know, but I encourage you, trust him. Learn to trust him. And one of the ways you do it is all these things. You spend time in the scriptures. I'll just leave this with you. I spent last night before I got ready to go to sleep, I picked up Linda's journal over the last since 2003 and I read all the way up through and it's amazing to me how many times she'd been through the Bible how many times she'd been through the New Testament how many books she had read she was and she kept saying in there I think God's preparing me to take me it's all through the journal this was years ago and as she studied and learned and, and saw the trustworthiness of God through all that, it made it so she was okay when the time came. And I, I want that for all of you. Prepare yourself. Read the scriptures. Live it. Share it. And the results will be that you'll stand strong in the Lord. I'm going to pray and then we'll have the worship team come up. Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you for this body of believers. Thank you for these folks. Each one of us have things that are going on in our lives that are not easy, that are difficult, and yet you have in your Bible, in every shape or form, the thing of showing us how to and how not to live our lives, promising us that you'll give us everything we need for life and godliness, that you give us joy that your spirit overflows joy in our lives when we're walking in the spirit. Lord, I pray if there's anyone here today that doesn't have that comfort, that doesn't have that hope of eternal life, that forgiveness of sins, that they will just turn to the Lord Jesus and trust him. And we'll just thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. This sermon has been proudly given in response to cherishing the gospel of Jesus Christ. Be sure to check out our YouTube channel and subscribe to watch all our sermons online. For more information about Covenant Life Fellowship, visit us on the web at www.clfroseburg.com.